One of the very first things they'll cite is that I have a dream speech. It is so full of beautiful, classical rhetoric devices. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, today, Andrew, we've invited Sharon Ashford to join us on the podcast so that we can spend this episode talking about Black History Month. That's excellent, because Sharon is one of our longtime friends. She was a homeschool mom, a very successful homeschool mom, homeschool tutor for other people's homeschooling children, very successful, high school English teacher and is now one of our school's division's educational consultants doing teacher training for teachers in all different venues, public, private, uh, homeschool tutor. One of the things that I'm always reminded of with Sharon is before I met her, uh, her reputation preceded her because of her students. And I remember years and years ago, you'd have to tell me how long this probably was, Sharon, because I don't remember, but I would, I'd be at a convention in Southern California, and someone would come up and say, oh, we're using your writing program, we're in this awesome writing class, and this teacher is so wonderful, it's Sharon Ashford, do you know her? And my response was, no, but I probably should know her. <laughs> you know, oh, our teacher Sharon Ashford, she's just awesome. Oh, thank you so much for Sharon Ashford, because she's the most wonderful writing teacher. And this happened again and again and again. And finally, I thought, I have somehow got to meet this woman, who is evidently the superstar writing teacher of Southern California. <laughs> but when, I don't remember, when when was that, Sharon, that you were doing homeschool co-op style tutor classes? What, what year might that have been? Well... I would say that it had to be around oh, 1998 or 1999. I have to gauge that by the ages of my children. I was still homeschooling then. My youngest was 10, and that's when I started teaching him IEW. Wow, 98, 99. That was even before we moved to California and when I went full-time. I was still teaching music in Idaho. So you must have got somehow a hold of one of those very, very old and not terribly easy on the eyes sets of videos? Or how'd you learn about our program? It was a VHS. And <laughs> how I learned about your program remains a mystery to me. But the minute <laughs> I, I read about the IEW program and the methodology, I thought this is something that I could do because it resonated within me, probably because it's compatible with my learning style. And I watched your videos over and over. So I would watch one video and then teach, watch another video and then teach that unit. And 
honestly, I modeled myself after you. Whatever you said, I say the same thing. And in my ignorance, <laughs> I taught book lice to very little kids, high school kids. I didn't really care which age group. We started with book lice and moved all through the units. So I really imitated you a lot. And then I met you at the Pugent Sound. Tacoma Teachers Conference. Oh, way back there. Yeah. So you met Mrs. Ingham and Shirley George and Dr. Webster. I did. I had my 15 <laughs> minutes with Dr. Webster. He was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I met I met everyone there. Well, that's it's interesting because I've known Webster for, gosh, what is it now? 25 years it's coming on. And he's always fascinated me and his stories of living and working in Africa, his very consistent appreciation for the cultures around the world, as well as the history of how those cultures have come to contribute to what American Canada are. And we were talking about, you know, what could we do for February? And it is Black History Month. So you, I think, have had some particular interest in collecting up source texts and suggesting writing projects that would bring people more in contact with some of the more important and interesting parts of Black history in America. And you've got such a deep understanding of our syllabus and how it works with the structural units and the stylistic techniques that we thought, well, let's invite Sharon, talk a little bit about the potential in general for better integrating history into writing and writing into history, and then specifically what could people look at if they are wanting to look at the black history um, ideas uh, for children of all different age levels? I know you you have been teaching high school mostly, but you've taught students of every grade level. What would you say is the kind of the best place to start if you're wanting to look for excellent source texts that bring us a little bit of commemoration of black history. Okay, well, I think the most important objective to keep in mind is balancing the narrative because there are so many sources available that uh, only speak of one side of black history and very little untold stories about achievements in African-American or black literature, music, and art. And so one of the best resources that covers K through eight would be Grace Abounding. It's a core knowledge anthology of African-American literature, music, and art. So that would be a great resource. One of the reasons why I like it is that they take this anthology and they actually categorize it into grade levels, which resources and source texts would be appropriate from kindergarten all the way through grade eight. So they also have a lot of what we use in our IEW units. They have a lot of source texts to connect with. They have fables from Africa. They have poetry for poetry memorization. They have speeches 
and also uh, art. And I like to use some of the art even for unit five. Most of the art is, uh, one, it's one panel, but you do have art pieces that have two or three panels. It's limited, but it's a great place to start. Well, and Sharon, can I just ask you a question about this? Because this sounds wonderful. Are these actually designed to be used with IEW's nine structural models? Or is it something that an experienced IEW teacher could actually easily adapt into her own curriculum? It's something that can be adapted into her own curriculum. As teachers, we make instructional decisions every day. So when I look through this anthology, I have a particular objective in mind and I it's right there in front of me and I can easily categorize, oh, this is great for unit one and two, units three, unit four. So although it's not uh, specifically created for IEW, it's very compatible with IEW. Nice. Yeah, that's exactly the type of thing that I'm always keeping an eye out. And I think you said that it had a wide range of reading levels and that's definitely something that homeschool moms are happy to find is a book that can be used for everyone in the family rather than having to, you know, search many different sources. What was the name of that book again, Sharon? It is called Grace Abounding and it is through the Core Knowledge series. They have a website, coreknowledge.org forward slash grace dash abounding dash anthology or if put grace abounding in the search bar it'll come up with the textbook and another great thing about this resource they have units one through four available online for free and additional links uh, that you can use to find even uh, greater resources especially at the high school level now core knowledge is the organization that writes the books what every fifth grader should know what every fourth grader should know, right? So we'll, we'll put a link in our show notes to this book so that people who might be interested can find it very easily. Sharon, when you and I talked earlier, one of the things that you had mentioned is how our own U.S. history, the history books have omitted key historical figures that you would suggest that we pay more attention to perhaps. Can you mention some of those names and maybe that would be an excellent resource as well? Okay. Well, as you may or may not know, there's a new movie out called Hidden Figures. And this movie really gives us the untold story of many African-American women that worked Mm. in the NASA program during the time of the space race. And one of the key and most prominent figures is Katherine G. Johnson. And she calculated the projectiles to put the first man into space for the United States. Uh, Russia had already launched and had a successful trip and we were sort of behind. There was, of course, there was still segregation back then. And prior to NASA, which stands for the National Aeronautics and Space Agency, they were called NACA, the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics. And so they changed the name in 1958 to NASA. And 
What we don't know is that they had a department called the human computers and they were segregated. The black women were in one area of the research center. It's called the Langley Research Center and white women were located in another area and everything was segregated. And then there was a woman named Katherine Johnson who was a mathematician and was able to solve some of the projectile problems that could not be solved. But she was a black female, which meant there were logistical problems of having her in the same room with mostly, uh, at that time, white males who were doing most of the math. And they made a space for her because her math was very accurate. And so as it progressed, Her name was excluded from a lot of the reports, and this is all documented. It's not mythical. If you see the movie, it'll explain everything. And long story short, uh, she was the first woman to accurately calculate the correct projectile to send our first man into orbit successfully. Not just the first woman, the first person. The first person. Right. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and she, of course, is an African-American female who is still alive. She's 93 years old. Hmm. So that really is a great topic, if you will, for research, for argumentative debate mm-hmm. and discussion about um, federal FDR Roosevelt's mandate, his executive order to actually end that segregation because of the space race, we needed resources. And so he he signed an executive order to put an end to it. And shortly after computers came on the scene, IBM had their big computer. And so those jobs were eliminated and no longer needed. But it it's very interesting that these women are not included in the canons of literature or history, and they have untold stories. And there are many untold stories like that. So where do you find untold stories that you can tell them. (laughs) Another great resource is the Oxford African-American Studies website. It's through Oxford University and Henry Louis Gates is the senior editor. And I love this website because it has everything. It is by subscription, but Anything and everything that you would like to learn or find out about African-Americans in the context of history in all subjects, it's documented uh, through Oxford University Press. And their website is Oxford African American Study Center.com. And it's an online resource. And so that is a great primary resource. They also have links to primary documents. Uh, It's just beautiful. Even some of the slave narratives you'll find, some of the old spirituals are there. Anything and everything concerning African-Americans and African-Americans in history, are it's just right there for you at your fingertips. So that's one of my favorite go-tos. You know, you were talking about this movie that's out right now, playing in theaters, uh, Hidden Figures. It reminds me also of a movie that I think a lot of 
writing students, rhetoric students, high school students would very much enjoy. Perhaps you saw it. It was called The Great Debaters. Yes. Denzel Washington directed and performed, and it was about the debate team, if I remember correctly, at Wiley College, who competed and had kind of like this upset victory over Harvard or something, if I remember correctly. I'm not sure. But boy, that was a fantastic movie and so inspiring as well when you realize not only were these people who had studied and practiced and reached a point of excellence that in itself is inspiring, but to have done so under the mental and almost physical persecution of being from a black college, being an all-black team. Mm -hmm. And it just gives you such a tremendous appreciation because today, I don't think, well, we don't remember it per se. I think you and I both grew up somewhere around the 60s, 70s. You're probably younger than I am. But I didn't have a lot of memories in the 70s and 80s when I was aware of these terrible persecutions and the amazingness of what many people did to make these great contributions and these achievements. So I really think it's it's very valuable for us to focus on that, even if I don't have particularly a black heritage, but I really love the stories. One of them, I'm curious to, if you've heard of this woman, we actually put an article about this in our college and adult writing course, the CAP program, about this Mrs. Walker, who was the first black millionaire woman way back in the early part of the century. She got this whole network of people selling makeup and and cosmetics that were specifically and ideally for black women. Tell me anything you know about her. I just found that so fascinating. Well, her name is Madam C.J. Walker. And I actually grew up in her neighborhood. Oh, interesting, Sharon. Had no idea. (laughs) She owned a a piece of property on Strivers Row in Harlem, which was the sort of upscale middle class type of property. And she invented the so many products for black hair care, black skin. One of her main products that she invented was the straightening comb. It's a heat comb to loosen curls and black hair. You know, we have very curly, tightly curled hair. And so the heat straightens it. And she invented that Mm -hmm. as well as other products. Yes, her name was Madam C.J. Walker. Good name, Walker. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I do know about her. And in terms of others from that era, that would be the Harlem Renaissance era. And we have a lot of talent that came out. Some people debate whether or not it was a Renaissance because it was so short-lived. And usually when you think of a Renaissance, you think of many, many, many years, a longer year span, but longer history span. But uh, the Harlem Renaissance was a time for many African-Americans who succeeded against all odds. And it was an explosion of literature, music, businesses, pretty much every success that we see now in the African-American community has stood on the shoulders 
of many great men and women that were contributors during the time of the Harlem Renaissance. Madam C.J. Walker certainly uh, was one of those ladies. And I want to speak a little bit about Martin Luther King because he is the go-to person that most of us study during Black History Month and his speech, I Have a Dream. What many people don't know about the Martin Luther King speech is that when he recorded it or spoke at the March on Washington in 1963, that was not his original speech. The speech, I Have a Dream, was first uh, delivered at a small church. And one of the parishioners of the church was in the audience at the March on Washington, and she yelled, tell them about the dream, Dr. King, tell them about the dream. And she kept yelling that, and he switched his rhetoric and started talking about the dream. And if you really listen closely to the speech, you'll hear a shift. And I think that's an interesting piece of information because that speech was not meant to be delivered there. It was actually delivered at a church and he started out discussing something else. The other interesting thing that I want to mention about the speech is that as a youngster, I was there at the March on Washington. I went with my uncle and my father. I was a young toddler. I remember... Some things about it, as a toddler, I don't. The main thing I remember was being very tired and my uncle lifting me on his shoulders and looking out into the audience and seeing a sea of people in in the Washington Monument standing there. So that visual stuck out in my mind and I had to confirm with my grandmother that I had actually attended that event and that I wasn't just remembering the pictures that I had seen on different media formats. So just wanted to mention that. I think that's an interesting piece of information because it was not his original intent to deliver that speech at the March on Washington. And what people don't know, and this again is part of his untold story, is that Martin Luther King was, of course, a great orator. We know that. But he gave so many speeches on so many different topics that if we listen to today, he would sound like a conservative American, very (laughs) conservative. I listened to a speech on economics and he talked about owning property. He talked about work ethics. He talked about owning businesses and his whole motivation for uh, civil rights was for the advancement, of course, and the balanced treatment, ethical treatment, of the Mm -hmm. black community, but at the same time, it was, now, where do we go from here? And he gave wonderful speeches that so many people just have no idea of, and a great place to start would be to go to his website and to just listen to the many speeches that that he has uh, out there. The values are just awesome. Absolutely. We don't hear these same values today. We don't, we don't have the same type of crying out for these values among any leadership in America, really. I mean, just so few of us. And it's refreshing to know that there's more to him than the I have a dream speech. And I will, you know, I really want to encourage people to research 
Martin Luther King in his speeches and to really listen and get a glimpse of what he really stood for and what he was really calling African-Americans to do. Uh, very, very powerful, very prominent, very refreshing. You've reminded me of a couple more movies. I guess I'm I'm kind of in the thinking about movies. I think oftentimes for students, movie is a great introduction into a deeper study of a subject. I probably wouldn't have gone to this in the in the theaters because I don't go to too many, but I was on a plane, stuck on a very long flight from Manila to Hawaii, and they showed this movie all the way. It's about Lyndon Johnson. Right, It starts right at the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and he becomes president. And what really struck me about the movie was how it portrayed him working so hard to negotiate civil rights concessions within his own party. He was walking this very delicate line between being a a Democrat who was wanting equality and fairness, as well as being a Southern Democrat who had to cater to the powerful Southern Democratic politics. And there is a significant presence of Martin Luther King as a character in that movie. And I found it fascinating because, you know, I'll be honest, I grew up and I was a little kid in the 60s, and my parents were Goldwater Republicans, and Lyndon Johnson was one of the forces of evil on the planet. And I didn't really think anything other than that until, oh, maybe 10 years ago, I was searching for famous speeches. And I came across, of course, the great classics like Martin Luther King, who, by the way, if you look up classical rhetoric and you get a term of, you know, different terms like anaphora and epistrophe and all these things, that's one of the very first things they'll cite is that I have a dream speech. It is so full of beautiful classical rhetoric devices. But I started reading Lyndon Johnson's speeches, and just like you, I'm thinking this guy is way more of a conservative than, say, George Bush in the in the 90s. I was so amazed. And then the, the other movie that struck me very powerfully was The Butler. Did you see that one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my family. <laughs> is that your family? family? I'll tell you, that... That movie just blew me away. It's one of my all-time favorites because, you know, here you have this man who's working as a butler through, I think, seven different presidential administrations. And his son is kind of a a radical Malcolm X kind of guy. And they they have a falling apart. But here he is, you know, this is how you get ahead. You do your job. You respect. You know, all these traditional values, even while he was laboring, uh, in this world that was burning for for more rights and equality, and the balance, and Oprah Winfrey played his wife, and I tell you, I I never knew that woman could act so well. I just thought of her as a talk show personality, but the acting was so good. And I'll tell you what it did for me, Sharon, is is more than anything else. It starts with this guy as a boy on a plantation in the early 1900s, and the foreman rapes his mother and shoots his father and and there's no consequences you know it's just it's just unbelievable tragedy with with and and injustice and then it tracks him through his whole life and the very end of the movie Barack Obama is elected president of the United States and you know I just never thought about it from that perspective whether you are a fan of 
Obama's political positions or not, the fact that he became the first black president, I realized what a tremendous thing that was, how momentous it was in the world of so many people like this man, the butler, who, and that's all based on a true story too. I I love these movies based on true stories. So I think these movies can be a great way to inspire kids to want to learn more about something that maybe they're not particularly interested in because of their own heritage or environment, but could be, should be. And I like to use movies in Unit 9 where they're learning how to critique. And so that's a great opportunity for teachers to to use Unit 9. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you can watch a movie a lot faster than you can read a book. So you can get to the writing part <laughs> and do, do <laughs> more of it than if you're trying to slog through a few hundred pages before you can do the critique so right and as far as the martin luther king i have a dream speech rhetoric i've taught that as well with the classical anaphora the the classical literary elements and it's it's been very very successful in the classroom and then to have students to write their own speeches using those rhetorical devices has been another successful IEW assignment that I've given my students. They've, they've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, we are running out of time, which means we need to bring this to a close. And Sharon, I just wanted to mention to our listeners that you are actually doing a couple of professional development workshops as a representative of IEW's schools division, you're doing a regional workshop in Georgia and another one in the LA area, Los Angeles area. Can you just tell briefly what you hope to accomplish there and what we hope to support you in accomplishing there? I'd like to have as many teachers in the room as possible. And what I hope to accomplish is to begin to train teachers or give teachers the skills and tools that they need to pass on to their students so that they can become competent and effective communicators and writers. And so we begin, of course, with uh, all of our units and students begin learning how to summarize and to give oral presentations through reconstructing sentences orally. And then we progress on to writing from paragraphs to full compositions and essays, learning how to write argumentative and persuasive essays, even learning how and teaching students the skills of structure and organizing these essays. Very academic, uh, very practical, something that can be implemented into the classroom immediately from the very first training of the first few units. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's something that's needed, especially in the Georgia area. People are really looking for tools and strategies that they can share with their students to bring them to a level of proficiency in their writing so that they'll succeed no matter where they go, whether work or college. Right, indeed. And that's what we're here to do is change the world. And Sharon, we're so grateful that you are on our team to help us do that. Well, thank you for having me. Sharon, it's so fantastic. You always inspire me. 
just your optimism, your beautiful smile, your energy for helping young people learn to communicate more effectively, your enthusiasm for the system that we teach that is even more so a, you know, a foundation. You actually remind me of a woman that I read her book years and years ago before I ever started IEW. I read this book called Marva Collins Way. And she started the Westside Preparatory School in Garfield Park in one of the worst parts of Chicago. And she taught her little guys Latin and algebra and how to write and how to speak and how to memorize poetry. And uh, I wasn't aware of it until just recently. She passed on in 2015 at the age of 78 after having made such a great contribution to so many children and to so many teachers. And I wish that somehow we had had a chance to connect with her because I think she would have looked at our system and said, yes, this is even better than what I've seen before for teaching writing. But she's another great, great person in modern history that has, I think, stood out as as one of the shining lights in black history. So if it's not too bold of a comparison, I would say to you, you remind me of Marva Collins. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, I have to say I read her book and her book was the inspiration that I needed to decide on my career to teach the Marva Collins way. She was my greatest inspiration. And for you to say that is just extremely honorable. I just, it's awesome. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure. We do need to wrap it up. And I hope that you and I will be able to get together on one of my next trips to Southern California. Maybe we'll see you out here at some point, but keep up the great work. Don't weary in doing good. And if anyone wanted to actually contact you, more about Black History Month and curriculum ideas, would it be okay for them to contact you directly by email? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to assist and help point people in the right direction. And your email is? Sharon at IEW.com. <laughs> Almost as easy as it gets. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you all for being with us. And Julie, I don't know what we've got next coming up, but uh, this has been a delight to have Sharon. God bless you. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.